It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. You've got this tug of war going on between the government and the Bank of England. That doesn't lead to a stable situation. We must face up to the fact that for too long, our economy has not grown enough. I'm prepared to do what it takes to get us through these difficult times, to get us through this difficult winter, and to come out stronger as a country. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics, your daily guide to the corridors of power. I'm Stephen Carroll. And I'm Caroline Hepke. On today's programme, Liz Truss is the most unpopular prime minister since the advent of modern polling. Inflation reached a 40-year high in September, we learned this morning, and Conservative MPs may rebel if the party's pension promise is broken. Look, make or break, I don't think even does justice to today's prime minister's question. So we're going to bring that to you live in just a moment, Liz Truss and Keir Starmer. But first, Liz Truss facing her MPs for the first time since she sacked her Chancellor and her economic plans were obliterated by his replacement. Uh, I think we look at the scale of the U-turns so far under this government. We've had the tax cut changes. We've had the energy bailout being scaled back from two years to six months. Now there's potential talk, if we read in the Financial Times today, about a windfall tax on energy and the potential for banker bonuses uh, from banker bonuses being lifted the cap to potentially windfall tax on banks as well. Yeah, absolutely. So that is the U-turns. That does mean that Keir Starmer may well be spoilt for choice. Uh, I really think that we might be on uh, to watch out, though, for questions from Liz Truss's own backbenchers. What are they going to throw at her? In terms of that poll that I mentioned, just 10% of Britons have a favourable opinion of the Prime Minister, 80% viewing her unfavourably. That's the latest from YouGov. They also did a poll Monday and Tuesday of 530 Conservative Party members, and that showed that 55% of them said that she should resign, only 38% of her backing her. And that's the question now being debated, is that how many Tory MPs will come out and say they don't back the Prime Minister, and will there be enough that perhaps... Perhaps Graham Brady, the head of the powerful 1922 Backbench Committee, may consider changing the rules to allow a confidence vote in the Prime Minister. Normally she's protected for a year after being elected. Mm. There's a question of whether or not the revolt against her may be so strong that they might change. Look, the uh, House of Commons is absolutely packed to the rafters. We're watching uh, the images now. Uh, There is virtually no room on the benches, many standing. Uh, This is only, uh, Theresa, sorry, this is only Liz Truss's third PMQ. So, yeah, it could be uh, a very, very difficult moment. Right, let's... uh Get into PMQs now. By Christmas. Is that the release date or the title? (laughs) Well, Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, I have been in office for just under two months and I have delivered the energy price guarantee, making 
£1,000 bills this winter. I've reversed the national insurance increase and I've also taken steps, and we will be taking steps, to crack down on the militant unions. Now, what, what Mr Speaker, I think, Mr Speaker, that is more of a record of action than the Honourable Gentleman in his two and a half years in the job. Mr Speaker, last week the Prime Minister ignored every question put to her. Instead, she repeatedly criticised Labour's plan for a six-month freeze on energy bills. This week, the Chancellor made it her policy. How can she be held to account when she's not in charge? Mr Speaker, our policy is to protect the most vulnerable for two years. I had to take the decision, because of the economic situation, to adjust our policies. I am somebody who is prepared to front up. I am prepared to take the tough decisions. Unlike the Honourable Gentleman, who hasn't done anything on businesses, he's done nothing to say he'll protect people after one year, he's got no plan. Mr Speaker, last week the Prime Minister stood there and promised absolutely no spending reductions. They all cheered. This week the Chancellor announced a new wave of cuts. What's the point of a Prime Minister whose promises don't even last a week? Well, I can assure the Right Honourable Gentleman that spending will go up next year and it will go up the year after. But of course, we need to get value for taxpayers' money. The Labour Party has pledged hundreds of billions of spending pledges, none of which they've retracted. The Honourable Gentleman needs to reflect the economic reality in his policies. Mr Speaker, those spending cuts are on the table for one reason and one reason only, because they crashed the economy. And working, working, people, working people are going to have to pay 500 quid more a month on their mortgages. And what's the Prime Minister's response to say she's sorry? What does she think people will think and say? That's all right. I don't mind financial ruin. At least she apologised. Prime Minister. I do think there has to be some reflection of economic reality from the party. The fact is, the fact is that interest rates, interest rates are rising across the world, and the economic conditions have worsened. And we are being honest. We're levelling with the public. Unlike the honourable gentleman who simply won't do it. And what is the honourable gentleman doing about the fact that workers, train workers, are again going on strike? The fact is, he refuses to condemn the workers. We are bringing forward policies. Mr. Speaker, we are bringing forward policies that are going to make sure. Our railways are protected. People going to work are protected. He backs the strikers. We back the strivers. Mr Speaker, she's asking me questions because we're a government in waiting and they're an opposition opposition in waiting. There's There's no getting away from this. Millions of people are facing horrendous mortgage repayments. And she's admitted it's her fault. 
she shouldn't have conducted an economic experiment on the British public. But it's not just her. They put her there. They're keeping her there. Why on earth would anyone trust the Tories with the economy ever again? Notice, Mr. Speaker, he's not actually objecting to a single economic policy that the Chancellor announced on Monday. He's refusing to condemn the strikers. We're on the side of working people. We're going to legislate to make sure we keep our railways open. The honourable gentleman refuses to do anything. Mr Speaker, the only mandate she's ever had is from members opposite. It was a mandate built on fantasy economics and it ended in disaster. The country's got nothing to show for it except the destruction of the economy and the implosion of the Tory party. I've got the list here. 45p tax cut, gone. Corporation tax cut, Gone. 20p tax cut. Gone. Two-year energy freeze. Gone. Tax-free shopping. Gone. Economic credibility. Gone. And her supposed best friend, the former Chancellor, he's gone as well. They're all gone. So why is she still here? I am a fighter and not a quitter. I have acted in the national interest to make sure that we have economic stability. Prime Minister, order, order. I'm going to hear the Prime Minister. I suggest that all members need to hear the answer. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, I am a fighter and not a quitter. on the energy price guarantee. We have. We've delivered on the energy price guarantee. We've delivered on national insurance. We are going to deliver to stop the militant trade unions disrupting our railways. The honourable gentleman has no idea. He has no plan and he has no alternative. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. James Grundy! Okay, so that was the Prime Minister Liz Truss facing Keir Starmer. I mean, that was 
You know, one of the liveliest Prime Minister's questions I think we've heard in uh, many, many sessions. So you heard Keir Starmer going through the list of U-turns from the government saying, gone, gone, gone. And every time he did, the backbenchers behind him, the Labour MPs chimed in there. Liz Truss had a very, very difficult job then justifying you know, what the Conservative government has done, talking about being a fighter, not a quitter. Yeah, trying to pivot to talking about the train strikes and how Keir Starmer hasn't condemned them seems very, given the the strength with which we saw those attacks from Keir Starmer, him saying the Labour Party is a government in waiting, that the Conservatives were in opposition in waiting, and in his words, note that there was no getting away from the economic uh, experiment that, in his words, Liz Truss had carried out on the British public. You know, interesting yeah. compared to, uh, this is, as we've said, only her third performance as uh, in PMQs. I think the first one, when we brought it to you here on Bloomberg Radio, we were saying how her performance was very solid and very assured and she was mm-hmm. engaging with the issues. Here we've seen her pull back from that. She's She wasn't Well, look, she delivered the lines as strongly as she could. But I think that it's the weakness of the arguments that simply um, was kind of shining through. When Keir Starmer says, why on earth would anyone trust the Tories on the economy ever again? Fantasy economics. You know, he listed 45p tax cut, gone. Tax-free shopping, gone. 20p tax cut, gone. Economic credibility, gone. And the former Chancellor, gone. You know, very, very hard for her to make the argument uh, against that although she did say that she was talking about acting in the country's best interest, delivering on the energy price guarantee. But even there, of course, originally the Conservatives' policy had been for to support households with their energy bills for two years. Mm. That has been cut back by her own Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, to six months. And so even there, you know, that was an easy attack line for Keir Starmer. Yeah, uh, Liz Truss coming to defend herself, though, with the lines that she had acted in the national interest, she says, uh, that the the party had delivered on the energy price guarantee and on national insurance, and now that their next target was to tackle, in her words, militant trade unions. Of course, that after the announcement, there were three more dates of rail strikes here in the UK in in early early November. Yeah, I, I think it's an immensely difficult moment. Look, we were talking this morning about the inflation figure in the UK. You know, this is also where Keir Starmer has the attack line because, of course, mortgage rates have, have gone up to above 6% for sort of fixed rate deals uh, on two-year deals at least. Um and the inflation figure now returning to a 40-year high in September, particularly fueled by food prices going up. So this is, you know, a very, very difficult situation. And it is going to make the government's finances even worse. We know that it's going to make uh, delivering on mm. the pensions guarantee and on increasing benefits even harder. When you mentioned pensions, interesting, actually, we are continuing to monitor the Prime Minister's questions as she's mm. speaking. And she has now said the UK is committed to the triple lock on state pensions payments. That's the guarantee that pensions will buy, go up by as much as inflation wages or 2.5%, whichever is higher. That had been called into question when the Prime Minister's spokesperson yesterday speaking to journalists wouldn't rule it out mm. that that triple lock, a policy announced under the Conservatives in 2010, that that could perhaps be in doubt. And there have been plenty of speculation over that this morning, whether that could be one of the sacred cows that would have to be slaughtered to rescue uh, the situation that, right now. But we are seeing some clarity from the Prime Minister on that, saying that the, the UK is committed to that triple lock on pensions. Yeah, it's a key constituency for the Conservative Party, of course. Even though it's less than £10,000 per year, the, the state benefits, uh, it's immensely important 
having said that, uh, by the latest calculations, if benefits and pensions are actually increased in line with September's inflation figure, and that would be Mm. the usual moment, it's usually based on the September inflation figure, then the government's total bill would increase by more than £25 billion next year. How would, you know, a, a government, any government, frankly, fill that black hole? So that's why you've you've careened from tax cuts now to how do you balance the books to yeah. cuts? Uh, let's discuss further what we've been hearing from the Prime Minister. We're joined by Labour MP John Trickett, uh, MP for Hemsworth in West Yorkshire since 1996. Thank you for joining us, uh, John, on Bloomberg Radio. Uh, what's yeah, I'd like you to come up. Come on. What's your view on what we've been seeing in Parliament today? Well, look, okay, I, I, here I am in the Commons now, uh, and it's good to be speaking to your audience and to you. Uh, the mood in the Commons was a Labour Party who I think felt outraged by some of the things which the Prime Minister said, and a Conservative Party who were quiet, looking very, very worried and nervous, and knowing that the Prime Minister's statements simply don't wash. Um, for example, she said she delivered on the energy price cap, but it actually, she said it, the, the promise was a two-year cap. And so, as we know, it's gone down to six months. That is not delivering on a promise. That is breaking a promise. And so much of the other things she said were of a similar character. They've crashed our economy uh, with a ridiculous ideological experiment. And uh, the people of the country are paying the price. Okay. um, In terms of what happens, though, uh, there would be little choice. If if Labour is a government in waiting, as Keir Starmer put forward in that PMQs, how would Labour manage the economy and save money? Because ultimately, that is that is going to be the position. Pensions and benefits increases. And now, surely in serious doubt, uh, how would Labour square that? Well, look, I think I'll give you one or two examples of what Labour said uh, to help to show the difference. If you take the energy price cap, the six-month cap that we've just discussed, the Conservative government effectively would let let the burden of that fall on borrowing and then on the taxpayer. What Labour said is we would tax the super profits, the extremely high profits which the energy companies are making in order to help to pay for the price cap. So that's a completely, although although the people of the country will see a six-month cap, whichever party is in power, the way it's paid for is very, very different. And another example, I don't want to bore your listeners, is this something called um, non-DOMS. And look, there are people who live here, work here, earn money here, but they're registered abroad in tax havens for the purposes of paying tax. Now, that is not right. They should be, some of the wealthy people, these, they should be paying tax here as well. So we would abolish the non-DOM rule. Would those, that but, would raise £3 billion pounds a year. It's a significant amount of money. And those kind of when examples you're talk, John, John, I, pre- I appreciate you giving us concrete examples, but those are relatively yep. small amounts of money that would be raised when you're talking about £60 billion for six months. <clears throat> you know, if you want to try and extend that price guarantee, well, it's going to have to be a lot more money. So the, the question then becomes, how would Labour find that money? Does it mean tax increases? Does it mean spending cuts? Well, you've just, you've just asked me to say what we would do, and I've given you two examples. And I think a fair-minded listener would say, well, they're examples of the kind of thing we would do. I think we're all waiting to see what the OBR says, the true state of the economy. 
And then I think our leadership will make some further decisions. Personally, if you ask me what I would personally do, I'm not speaking mm. now for the leadership. I would, uh, I would tax wealth as well as income. In our country, we tax people's income, but we don't tax wealth. But as we know, wealthy people, uh, a lot of their income actually comes from enhancing the wealth which they have. I think we can't allow that to go on any longer. Let me give you one more example. If you earn dividends off the, say you've got a million pounds in shares in a company and the company pays you dividends, yeah. you pay 7% tax. You, but if you work for a living, you pay 20% tax on your income. Yeah. And you could level up that. And that is another example of the kind of thing which a bold Labour government might think about. As I say, I'm not speaking for Labour here. I'm speaking, this is my opinion. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. Look, interest, income yeah. and inheritance tax and non-DOMs are all very familiar to our audience. So absolutely, we hear you on that. But look, polling yeah. wise, um, you know, I mentioned that the Prime Minister is now the the, the least populous in sort of modern polling um, came into existence. The problem for Labour, yeah. though, is that you could be faced with basically 18 months of a zombie government. What are you going to do yeah. with that? And what does the country do with that? Why have you not? Why has Labour not? called for a vote of confidence in the government well just so that your listeners understand a vote of confidence can bring a government down in parliament slightly different to uh, the united states for example however in order to get a, a vote of confidence through the house of commons a significant part of the majority have to join with labor and the other parties and i don't think at the present time that is likely to happen and therefore it might be necessary to put down a vote motion of confidence. That's a question of tactics. But at uh, the present time, it isn't going to succeed. Look, our task is to continue uh, to prepare ourselves for office. To We've been through a period of opposition. and We continue to oppose. But an opposition needs to do more than oppose. It also needs to propose. And so preparing for office, developing what I hope will be radical, transformative, politics which change the way our economy works is what needs to be done next and i think we should use every single waking moment mm. both to oppose but also to begin to yes. propose a program for government which is realistic which is costed and which will not frighten the markets as this lot have done well, hang on a minute. It's either radical or it's realistic. You can't have it both ways. Keir Starmer surely wants, you know, the Labour government to be centrist. That's how he's positioned himself for weeks and months now. Well, I'm telling you what I think. And I think that the state of the country and also the international markets as such that we can't go on in the same old way. And I'll give you, uh, let me explain what I'm thinking is, if the idea is that you somehow resuscitate the economy either here or across the globe by simply fattening up people who are already extraordinarily wealthy and hoping the money will somehow trickle down into middle income earners and lower income, that ain't going to work. So a radical change will be to say we're going to build an economy from the bottom up and from the middle out. And it's middle income earners, the ones who perhaps have given the Conservatives a chance, who have now become so disillusioned with the Conservative Party. I don't see them voting for them again in a long time. So I think we do need to change with the way we do things, but we need to do it in a way which is reassuring, which offers a sensible future, and which doesn't kind of spook people into believing that somehow there will be chaos under Labour, which there won't be. What stage of election preparation are you at now? Are, are, we, are we at a posters printing stage, or is the party getting ready for an imminent election? 
No, I think we want to see an election and we want to see it done in an orderly way, which doesn't damage the economy and which gives expression to what the people think. You can't go on changing leaders, prime ministers, without asking the public. And you can't have new leaders coming in, tearing up the manifesto, which they were all elected on. It's not right. It's improper. It's dishonest. And what people, I think, do want from leaders, they know that politicians can duck and weave. But they want basic honesty and they want a sense of decency and honour. And all of that's gone from the Conservative leadership. There's no honour in hanging on, pretending you're doing things that you promise, when in fact everybody in the country and across the globe can see that we reverse, she's reversed everything mm. she promised. Um, as you said, you were uh, in Parliament just moments ago, John. Um, mm, so I, yeah. I sort of want to go back to that. I mean, the Prime Minister is still yeah. speaking uh, and, yeah. and um, the House is still packed with, with members. How long yeah. do you give yeah. Liz Truss as Prime Minister? W- what's your reading of that? Well, it looks to me as though the, I don't want to call them wolves, but let's let's use that expression. The wolves are circulating and I don't think it will be too long. Um, I think that the backbench uh, spokesperson, uh, Sir Graham Davis, has let it be known that uh, if a third of the um, Parliamentary Conservative Mm -hmm. Party submit letters of no confidence, then he will then proceed to tell the Prime Minister that that's the situation. I don't but know does that happen before or after Halloween? Because the crucial date is surely the 31st of October. Is that the well, crucial date be, in your mind? May, look, I'm certainly not in a position to speak for Conservatives, who I am not the greatest fan of, by the way, as you might imagine. I don't know what they're going to do. But, you know, uh, you, you see them in the corridors. You see them uh, sitting for cups of coffee. You see them huddling. And I think it's quite unusual uh, atmosphere in the in Parliament at the moment where in corridors up and down uh, the Parliament, there are Tory MPs huddling around, whispering in each other's ears. Uh, it does feel as though we're getting close to November the 5th, which your listeners may know was the, the plot to remove Parliament entirely. It does feel a little bit like it's getting terminal. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.